That wasn't bad, right? I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know. I'm I'm skeptical about all of this so far. <laughs> Welcome to Unimed's Innovation Overground, where we dig into some of those amazing discoveries that we often hear about, but uh, for whatever reason, never actually touch our lives. We want to dig into why that is and then what it would take to move those innovations into actual things that uh, impact us in some deep, meaningful way. Thank you for joining us. My name is Charlie Litton. Uh, we're sponsored by Unimed, the Technology Transfer and Commercialization Office with the University of Nebraska at Omaha and the University of Nebraska Medical Center. I'm joined by Tyler Scher and Joe Rungi. Tyler Scher is a Ph.D. licensing associate at Unimed. How's it going, Tyler? Good, Charlie. Thank you. You're welcome. And I'm also joined by uh, Joe. Joe is a patent lawyer in our office. He also moonlights, I guess, for Unitech, the incubator accelerator program at the university. I do. Full moonlight. Full moonlight. Werewolf style. Okay. I'm an entrepreneurial werewolf. Can't believe I just said that on the radio. (laughs) I guess it's not the radio. It's a podcast. And while I'm talking about podcasts, please make a note to subscribe and leave us a review. Oh, nice. Five stars, four stars, whatever you need to do. Thumbs, likes, digs. (laughs) shares, shares, you name it, just leave it on there. We want other people to know what you think. Also, please make sure to check out the feature technology. It's always something interesting, and today's is especially interesting. It's always interesting, yes. Um, And do try to spread the word about us. We want to talk about how universities are making all of our lives better, not just in Nebraska, but everywhere. Okay, so um, all that said, I think it's about time we went over. Well, I I think, actually, before I get ahead of myself, I think we need to say happy anniversary. I wish I had like a, some streamers or something, but it's the, let's see, 38th, 48th birthday for the By Dole Act. No idea. It's the birthday of <laughs> yeah. By Dole. Well, it's 1980. Is when Doesn't it, look a day over. I'm, I'm yeah, just, it's the math. Um, it's the math birthday. It's the, <laughs> it's the numbers birthday of By Dole. By Dole, big deal, right? By Dole, but it is for us. Right. Um, That's why we're here. Yeah, so Myrtle and and, uh, and, and Marvin might want to know why we care about the By Dole Act. So long, long time ago, it was unclear as to who owned the intellectual property that came from research that was funded by the federal government until uh, the Bayh-Dole Act, which was passed in the 80s, that basically established that title to that intellectual property lives at the place where the research was done. So the NIH doesn't own it, the DOD doesn't own it, the university or the national lab that actually did the work did it. And that was in part in response to the huge success that international business machines had had. They'd made uh, all the monies by taking their old patents and licensing them out and were wildly successful. And the government's like, huh, we should do that. Hey, and then they did it, and now we're here. I think and there's a lot of research that shows that by Dole has done a lot to foster innovation at universities. Yeah, because universities have a sense of ownership. Yeah. And, so, and that, I think that was the big problem, right? Like if no one knows who owns it. Yeah, who owns it. Right. right. Then what are you going to do? But now, you know, we own it. Darn it. And all of a sudden people are looking at us saying, what are you doing with it? I'm like, well, we have a podcast, and, and that's why we're here. We have a podcast, and we have our own, we have our own website where we sell stuff. We do sell technologies. Ooh, yeah, right. We sell technologies up there, and we sell t-shirts. t-shirts. We have old t-shirts up there. and um, Actually, we have – okay, that's what that reminds me. There is something on the website I do kind of want to talk about. Um, <clears throat> because we've put like 12 men on the moon, and for some reason, we don't know 
like, or it seems like we don't seem to know, we can't agree on what causes people to be fat. What what's going on there? How do you how do people why are people fat? Do we not know this? <laughs> it's like a big it's a big mystery. And well, I mean, it's 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 complicated. All these, you have all these fat it's, diets, right? You got people yeah. like low carb, no carb, extra fat, no fat, uh grapefruits only, no grapefruits yeah. ever. Things you uh, fit in a box. Coconuts, things you can fit in a box if it's a size of a deck of cards. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. what do you, what do you what's going on? We can we can put a dude on the moon, but we can't figure out like just don't eat chicken. Or maybe eat extra chicken. I don't know. What's the deal? <laughs> Why can't we figure this out? I mean, we have the thing. The thing we're talking about on our website. It's called Aristotrack, and it's a what do you call it? A behavior modification program? Or I think I called it that once, but I can't remember when. Okay. <laughs> a habit forming device. <laughs> oh my god, that's so habit. much better. That is better. Yeah, I should have said that. Yeah. <laughs> It's a good thing I don't have a PhD. I'd be embarrassed <laughs> myself if I did. <laughs> so it's a wearable habit-forming device, right? Yes. You wear a, a bunch of bracelets on one arm, and as you track the behavior you want, you, you move them over to the other. Okay. It's pretty so, simple. So when you're you know, in your faith-based dieting system. Right. Because every there's, no, time, there's no science yeah, about diet. So every works. time you sprinkle a grapefruit with you know, salt and stick it in a box and <laughs> wonder what a caveman would do. Okay, I've done it all. <laughs> Move that bracelet from your right arm to your left arm. Okay, so can we? do you guys know anything about the diet stuff? I, I sprung about this on you. Usually what, we what, talk about stuff. Yeah, yeah. But it's just very complicated. Yeah, there's a lot of mystified looks right now. We're all yeah. just kind of staring at it's, Charlie. It's, it's, obvi- it's obviously that. a little more than just calories in, calories oh burned. Um, it's a little more than just bare bones thermodynamics. So, uh, the, 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 so you go to the moon, right? But like, you know, I think behavior is just in general, right? Like what makes people do anything? Um, you know, we're on a campus right now that has – a whole information science technology group that spends all their time looking at internet-based measures of behavior to try to figure out really important things, right? Like where are terrorist attacks going to come from or how are people going to efficiently evacuate in an area of crisis? And it turns out that, you know, it takes technology beyond stuff you wear on your wrist to be able to modify it. I mean, they're using supercomputers to model human behavior and finding out, wow, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so I think that, you know, the the question you have there is is like legit, right? And maybe a simple solution that just, you know, the, the start of it is less about finding the technology that puts you on the moon, right? And instead just, you know, uh, oh gosh, this is going to be hokey, but, you know, sitting inside and, and, and having something contemplative to think, well, what's behind this problem I'm having anyways? Why am I yelling at people and being angry? Why am I unable to lose weight? Why am I continuously... And uh, unproductively beating myself up on the inside. Where does the basis of my emotional distress come from? And something simple like Aristotrack might be a very powerful tool in that, just depending on whether it's the right person. It's crazy. It's like, you know, it's a, it's a set of like beaded brace, bead bracelets. Right. Like yeah. 30 of them, I think, for like, yeah. I don't know, 15 bucks or something like that. It just something like, like that could be that powerful, really? I think it's all individual, right? You know, so is it that powerful? I have no idea. The the studies that were done with it were, you know, fairly inconclusive, right? That, yeah, it does help some people, but it doesn't help everyone. And, you know, I think um, that's the problem, right? People are complicated. You know, it's going to yeah. work for me. Is not going to work for you? Is it going to work for someone else? Um, <clears throat> I had a lot of trouble with bad behaviors all throughout my life. And I just found getting older sort of changed what was easier for me to manage my life god there was an it's opportunity a there for a great joke it's a I, rebel i couldn't think of one <laughs> i kind of disappointed myself 
So since this is the end of the year and we're going through some of the things that we wish we have talked about, one topic that kept coming up on our initial slate of U, our Unimed projects that we want to talk about was Promune. But we never really knew kind of how to bring it up because Promune is an interesting story. It's an interesting technology. It's an interesting inventor. It's frankly a legacy of kind of an institution of the university. So Charlie, what do you think is the best way to start at that? Do you want to talk about what Promune is, what it was, who it was, why it was? what it means. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get, uh, I'm not going to be able to break down any kind of science for it, but one of the things I always find interesting about Promune is that it was, this predates all of us. All of us. I think this technology, I think, started in the 90s. Yeah, middle 90s. It's a long road, yeah. It is a long road. Um, the thing that, that that I thought was interesting about it was that it began in the 90s, It uh, and it just you know, Sam Sanderson, who actually didn't, the technology now has outlived him. He died suddenly uh, a couple of years ago. Um, but the business that he was able to create around this technology is called Promune, or now it's called Promune. And um, the, one of the things that, that struck me about it, though, was talking to Sam a couple of years ago, um, about a year before he passed. Uh, he, and I said, so, Sam, what was the difference for you? Why... Why did he, all of a sudden he started getting all sorts of funding opportunities and mm-hmm. things like that? It seems things started to finally start rolling for the guy. Yeah, and I think at one point he was in and out with the different administrations. In fact, um, so a big part of it was it was feast or famine for him. Uh, Promune always lived on grants, okay. and so they were able to get grant. And then, you know, one of the things that happened in like the middle aughts is like NIH grants got super tight. It got really hard mm. to get them. Yeah. And the program that he applied under became really competitive too. Okay. And so, you know, he had a hard time adjusting for that. But he did. And, you know, I, I think a lot of this comes down to Sam Almorani and it's, is it Babylon Consulting? I, yes. I, I think that's the name of his, his group. And I think, you know, Sam is a really interesting guy. He's a, he's a PhD himself. And what he basically is, has done is kind of create this, this sort of, uh, sort of Kung Fu-esque wandering the land nomad firm, which sort of serves as an entrepreneur for people in need. And, you know, Sam and Sam managed to make it work when other sort of entrepreneurs we tried to pair Dr. Sanderson with didn't really work out. And so I think that conversation you had with Sam was, or with Dr. Sanderson was a lot about, well, why are you successful now, right? And his thing was, you know, he'd, he'd actually gotten some advice that he would listen to. Is that part of it? Well, yeah, what he told me was, <clears throat> well, what I asked him was, I mean, where what's the difference? And he said, well, having Sam Amorani come right. in, he's like, he thought Sam Sanderson, the inventor, the scientist thought that, you know, he invented this great thing. He'd made this incredible discovery. He was very proud of it, of course. And he thought, well, okay, now all I have to do is wait for the phone to ring. Right. You know, but it didn't happen. And then he realized there's all this other business stuff that needs to happen. And then Sam, he didn't even realize that until Sam Almorani came in from Babylon Consulting Helped him build this new startup structure, got a board and all that stuff. Right. And all of a sudden, business-minded people said, no, no, here's what you need to do, Sam. Right. And he was, like, blown away by all the stuff that he thought he knew and didn't because he's a researcher. And we don't want our researchers worrying about business things, right? You know, it's hard. Generally, yeah. I mean, occasionally one's really good at it. Sure. I mean, look at Virtual Incision. You know, they've done amazing work. And that's but they have very- a CEO. They have a business CEO. They do. But they're like super engaged. So for the listeners, uh, Virtual Incision is a robotics, uh, surgical robotics company founded in in Nebraska. By uh, Dmitry Linikoff and Shane Ferreter. 
<clears throat> he was an engineer and a surgeon in yeah, opposite a, order. Yeah, it's a laparoscopic uh, robotics. It's a robot that crawls inside you and does surgery, yeah. but in a good way. And um, the <laughs> that's their tagline. <laughs> <laughs> but the 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 premise of that was is yeah they did have uh, they had a lot of investors who really took a big leadership role, whereas Sam was largely using you know grant funding mm. to sort of you know make his way. And you know one of the things we talked about very early in the podcast was this notion that if you build a better mousetrap, the world will be a path to your door. That is total crap. Yeah. That's a bigger lie than than Thomas Edison. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of I think everyone values the part they contribute, right? Charlie thinks the hard part of this podcast is figuring out the questions that he needs to ask. Tyler and I think, you know, the hard part of the podcast is, you know, learning how to prepare for all of them. When in reality, like it's hard to appreciate anyone else's position because you're so stuck in your own headspace, which is why you need a wrist to track to do mindfulness meditation. <laughs> uh, available at Udivet.com. Coming full circle. <laughs> now oh, that's wow. shilling. <laughs> that is shilling. You should be ashamed of yourself. I yeah. should, but I'm not. <laughs> He's not keeping track. He's, <laughs> He's not. That's <laughs> that part of me. <laughs> I just got that. <laughs> Boom. All right. I think on that note, it's time to come to ground. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we will not. We will be back with new episodes after the new year. Merry Christmas. Get to Unimed.com and buy Aristotrack and T-shirts and coffee tumblers, even though they might burn your hand a little bit, a little bit. In a good um, way. In a good way. Um, uh, for Joe Ruggie and Tyler Share, I'm Charlie Litton saying goodbye and thank you for joining us. Happy 2018. <laughs> <laughs>